1: Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, TuneIn app and all good podcast sites. This is Anthony The Bull Caruso. It is coming to the end of the 2020 year, the very sharp end of it. And while we continue to battle... The COVID-19 pandemic and all of the lockdowns that have been occurring on, it's nice to be able to sit down and be able to enjoy a moment where we can actually celebrate people who have won in 2020. Speaking of winners, let's look at someone who uh, actually managed to pick herself up a nice little, uh, nice little job, uh, in between all of the hullabaloo that's been going on here. We haven't had him on the show in a while, but given the occasion that we have here today, it is only fitting we bring back the Lord Mayor himself, Keith Topolsky, good evening to you.
0: It's nice to know that you actually listened to Splinter's Bull, considering I was on last week with Dom, but be that as it may in your complete ignorance of the situation, yes, it's a good evening to everyone across the Triple H Global Network, and... Well, I don't know whether I picked up a job this year so much as last year, but I've managed to somehow hold on to mine down here, uh, for the time being. And, uh, well, yeah, it's been, well, we won't, we won't use the typical words because we're well and truly over those words, but let's just say it's, it's been a bludger of a year.
1: It has been an absolute bludger of the year. Um, and, it, and it has impacted sports in a way that we never thought possible. And certainly some of the shows that we've done over the years has really given rise to how much of an impact that has had, not only, I guess, in terms of professional sports staff, but also um, the media itself.
0: It has. And as I discussed with Dom last week, uh, one of the big losers from this year was Hugh Marks, who mishandled the reading of the situation so badly that you could almost say that COVID cost him his job because he didn't really see what the landscape looked like as far as sporting coverage. He didn't want the NRL back, but people were just screaming for live sport to come back because there's only so much Netflix you can watch before you actually want to sit down and watch live sport again. He completely misread it, but this week we're not talking about the losers.
1: No, we're talking about the winners. The people are... despite the odds thrown at them this year that have managed to climb above and achieve absolute greatest. They may not necessarily be championship premiership winners, but they have achieved well and they have set themselves up for potentially an even bigger 2021.
0: That's exactly right, and, and that's the key thing is that not only have they succeeded this year, but they've also set themselves up to succeed next year or whenever the next season starts. And I think that's absolutely vital uh, given the way that the year has panned out and certainly a very interesting year lies ahead for pretty much everybody that we're going to be mentioning uh, on the podcast tonight.
1: Absolutely. We're going to have a top eight for each section. We're going to be doing the teams first and then the individuals. So who makes the eight? Let's find out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. We're going to kick things off with the team winners. And, Keith, who do we have at number eight? Well,
0: you wanted to fight very hard for this one. And I have to say that when it comes to motorsport, I wouldn't know the difference between a gasket and a fuse. And I mean that quite literally. So tell me exactly why you think Mercedes-AMG Formula One
1: is really one of the winners of
0: 2020.
1: And this is one that really hits close to the heart because as much as I am a Ferrari fan, I have to give credit to the way this team has operated in this entire turbo hybrid era. They were set up to have an absolute ding-dong battle with Ferrari this year. However, while Ferrari slipped away, Mercedes continued their near impervious form throughout the turbo hybrid era, recorded their seventh consecutive Formula 1 World Constructors' Championship, and their seventh consecutive World Drivers' Championship, with Lewis Hamilton picking up six and Nico Rosberg with one. The other thing they did this year is they confirmed the legitimacy of a future star in current Williams driver George Russell, who has now, because of his brilliant performance in Bahrain, has pretty much made himself the heir apparent to Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes. This juggernaut keeps rolling, and it is all down to a brilliant team headed up by Toto Wolff.
0: So now do you think that because of the work they've done, they've set themselves up to really dominate into the future because he's been around for a while, but Lewis Hamilton's not going to be here forever?
1: I think they've set themselves up for next year again. However, it all changes again in 2022 with the introduction of ground effect, reintroduction of ground effect. They've got themselves another year, it then all starts again. And the other big one there is the budget caps. Who knows what's going to happen, but it has to be acknowledged Mercedes are going to go in as short price favourites to do it all again in 2021.
0: So what exactly is ground effect and what does it mean for the different teams and more specifically, why is Mercedes going to have to do something different, be able to stick with what they've got? Where's the big challenge there?
1: So everyone has to change now with the new requirements for what is called ground effect. What ground effect is, is it's the creation of a vacuum with underneath the car, and by doing with the aerodynamic force, by doing that, you actually pull the car closer to the ground, which creates more grip. So That's when how it, it
0: creates, okay, so it creates more grip. How has Mercedes either prepared for this, or how have they handled it already? Are they already transitioning, or is this something that is going to be sprung on everybody at the same time?
1: Everyone changes at the exact same time. So 2022 is when it all, as I said, 2022 is when it all starts again.
0: So Mercedes has really set, them up, set themselves up for 2021 at this point, and then 2022, we just have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it has to be said that while they've been successful, they've given themselves a chance to put more into research and development for 2022. Will it pay off? We don't know. No one knows. But well, certainly, they've given themselves every chance.
0: Well, that's very true. And somebody else that you fought very hard for and perhaps even a little bit closer to your heart or to your backside, as the situation may be with the trophy, is the winner of yet another toilet seat.
1: Absolutely. Sydney FC, they did the double again this year. Everyone thought that they were going to drop off when Graham Arnold was announced as the new coach for the Socceroos. Steve Corica, the club legend who has come in uh, with a team that was pretty much already, already established by Graham Arnold. But he has not put a foot wrong. Every year he's been manager, he has won at least a trophy. And this year, he did the Premiership and Championship double with Sydney FC off the back, in particular, of um, the performance of Adam LaFondra, the previous Johnny Warren medalist in Milos Nikovic, and the hero of the grand final and the current Socceroos defender, owner of the world's greatest mullet at the moment in Ryan Grant.
0: Now the the big question here is has this been done as a development side of thing by Sydney FC, or is it simply a case of everybody wants to go to Sydney FC because they're the team that's winning at the moment? Because they've clearly usurped Melbourne Victory as the number one team. In fact, you could say Melbourne City's probably usurped Melbourne Victory as the number one team in Melbourne, let alone in the A-League. So is this a case of Sydney doing their development right, or are they simply in a position where everybody wants to go and play for Sydney FC because that's where the success seems to be at the moment? It's a bit of
1: both. So they've got this team that's been going around for a while where everyone wanted to go for it. But they have brought some great kids coming through, through the youth system, and the likes of Harry Van Patrick Wood, and Josh King. So they've got some kids coming through some serious talent now. And don't be surprised if Sydney FC uses success that they've built up from now to really continue to develop their academy and become a genuine force within the APAC region.
0: All right. How much is the loss of Lafondra going to impact them? Because did I read right yesterday that he's on loan to somewhere?
1: He's on loan in Mumbai at the moment. Uh, he may end up coming back with that contract potentially being being um, uh, completed with no renewal. But the rumor is as well is that they're about to announce the return of Brazilian striker Bobo.
0: You're thinking, and obviously you've. Got a little bit of an interest here, a little bit of an emotional attachment. You honestly believe that Sydney FC are in the box seat to be able to take another A-League title?
1: I think they are. The only club that I think that that could legitimately compete against them this year, I think, will be Melbourne City again. It's those two teams in daylight.
0: So it could be a repeat of last year with Sydney FC versus Melbourne City. There you go there's the early prediction already for 2021. Mind you, it's not going to be that late into 2021 that we're going to be able to see a result on your prediction, is it?
1: Absolutely, because the season uh, is pretty much underway now.
0: I wanted to get to an AFL team because it's all AFL all the time down here and I'm trying to fit in with left foot snap and all that sort of thing. I'm still trying to figure out how you punch the ball, but be that as it may... Richmond Tigers, they are on the verge of a dynasty. Three premierships in four years. At the time of the stoppage, nobody could have predicted what was going to happen. They came back, started off with, it has to be said, a real bludger of a game against Collingwood. It finished 36-all, and all the hardened AFL fans, ones I've spoken to, uh, long-term AFL experts like Malcolm Blythe and Terry Wallace, who I've spoken to as well, they've said that that was one of the worst games they'd ever seen in their lives. But what they did to come back from that and really turn it on at the business end of the season was really super impressive.
1: What's been incredible is that while other teams seem to have managed to come out of the gates very quickly, Richmond sort of went in the opposite direction. They built up, they built up, built up, and then in the finals really had to do it the hard way.
0: Do you think Damien Hardwick in the AFL is the direct relation of Trent Robinson in the NRL as far as being able to time a team to really hit their straps at the best possible
1: moment? I, I think he'd go go very close to Trent Robinson. There's the way he, he couldn't have timed it any better.
0: Damien Hardwick certainly couldn't, maybe Trent Robinson didn't quite do it this year, but that was the thing that really stood out for me as well, was Richmond was able to avoid any sort of major injuries, but the AFL wasn't taken as much as the NRL was through injury because the AFL is a lot more of a running game as opposed to a contact game, which the NRL is, so that probably helped Damien Hardwick a bit in the end as well. But being able to put on three premierships in four years, in a salary cap era, particularly in a drafting sport where if you succeed, you get punished for it, and if you fail, you get rewarded for it. Being able to do three premierships in four
1: years, that's nothing short of miraculous. That is absolutely nothing short of miraculous. Let's stay in Melbourne because in fifth place is, is another, uh, another city from the south side, but in a different code. Yeah, everybody laughed at me
0: when... I said that the Melbourne Storm going into the grand final were red-hot favourites to take down Penrith, and everybody thought the youthful exuberance of the minor premiers from Sydney's West with a bunch of young kids who didn't know any better were going into a grand final, the likes of which had not been seen before, a different type of a grand final, and they were coming up against a team that, were second place for most of the year, but they were looking a little bit rough around the edges. A few veterans that probably weren't playing as well as they could, but they still had the player who, at the time, was regarded as the best in the world um, without peer... The leading playmaker, one of the great goal kickers of all time, one of the, the best great referees, referee, the, one of the best referees around, you could say. No, that that doesn't quite go to what I'm about to say here. And then went into the grand final, and the team from Sydney's West were supposed to do what they wanted, and they went into the grand final, and they were down by more than twenty at half time. They ended up losing by six. Twenty Twenty Meet 2001, when Newcastle beat Parramatta. And it just stood out to me so much just how much alike the Newcastle Knights in 2001 Melbourne was in 2020, except this is a genuine dynasty led by perhaps the
1: greatest coach of all time. Absolutely. Craig Bellamy has done something absolutely incredible with this team. And you have to take into consideration as well, Keith, that it could have all fallen apart after the salary cap scandal back in the early 2010s. That's exactly
0: right. 2010, the salary cap was exposed or the rort was exposed, but they kept building. They kept figuring it out and Bellamy knew that he needed to keep that core together and, okay, eventually the core had to split up. At time, Father Time is the only person undefeated in the sporting world. And Cooper Cronk wanted to be closer to Tara Rushton, understandably, so he headed to Sydney. Billy Slater just didn't have it in him anymore. You needed to let go of other players. And the way Craig Bellamy has been able to identify and coach talent to be able to take over from them is nothing short of remarkable. Okay, so Cameron Munster is not the same style of player as Cooper Cronkies, but he's a dominant half. So you've got a dominant half replaced by a dominant half. You've got a Fullback that can fly out of sight in the middle of the afternoon replaced by a fullback who can fly out of sight in the middle of the afternoon. And you've got one of the great visionary players in the number nine jersey who has a great ability to see what's in front of him and play to it with a kicking game. Okay, this is slightly different. He's going to be replaced by a most visionary player who can play exactly what's in front of him, play to it with a fantastic running game. And this is where I'm interested to see where Melbourne goes. They're replacing one of the great kicking games with one of the great running games in a hooker. And Harry Grant, I think, will completely revolutionise what Melbourne has done, but they'll be able to recreate it because they've still got those building blocks that Craig Bellamy has always had. Can they
1: continue it? Or, and I guess the other thing you're alluding to as well is have we seen the last of Cameron Smith?
0: Not having re-signed by now, I think that you can guarantee that Cameron Smith won't be in Melbourne, whether he goes somewhere else. And I'm still not convinced he doesn't sign on with the Gold Coast Titans, which we'll get to a little bit more in the second half of the podcast and this episode of Splinters. But can Melbourne win it next year? Um, I think their biggest challenge... They're going to have two really big challenges. I don't think one of those is going to be Penrith. I think the two big challenges they're going to get will be the Roosters... Because yeah. they're going to be able to have a better idea of how to pace themselves. Remember, the Roosters got stuck behind the eight ball early on because they rested Boyd Cordner, thinking it was going to be a 26-round season. And then they had that layoff. If, if they knew what was coming, I have no doubt that Boyd Cordner plays and they win their first two games. The other one, you've got to remember what Canberra did this year without Josh Hodgson. That was without, arguably, the world's best number nine going into the year. Once they get Josh Hodgson back, they are once again a genuine premiership contender. Okay, they've lost John Bateman, but they've got Ryan James. That's a that's not a bad way to replace a player, bad John Bateman. At all. That that okay, you're not going to get exactly what you got with John Bateman, but you've got someone there who can really take those hard yards and maybe you can convert one of those middle players into more of a wide running second rower like John Bateman was. So right now, I think You've got a three-horse race between Melbourne, Canberra and the Roosters. Melbourne, though, will definitely be up there again.
1: We are going to move on to position number four, and we're going to change tactic here because we're going to move off Australia. We're going to go international. It is a, dr- a celebration of a drought finally broken.
0: Oh, uh, no. Do we have to? Because you know he's going to get on the phone and message us and just start whooping it up and celebrating. Do we really have to?
1: Mate, it pains me knowing that half their squad came from the club that I support, but yes, we have to.
0: Well, that, that's an interesting question. The fact that Southampton supplied half of the winning Liverpool Premier League team, does that hurt you or does that make you feel a
1: little bit better? Um, it hurts me because, as I said to a few people, could you imagine what Southampton would have been like with their greatest ever exports 11? The fact that you would have someone like even <laughs> Gareth Bale up front.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's got to be an interesting prospect. But at the end of the day, this is what happens, and as much as we don't like to get into politics here, this is what happens when you allow unabashed capitalism in sport. And I think you and I have have had this discussion before. The only place that socialism has ever worked is in sport. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But, Crow where it's due, Liverpool, I guess, have had... A number of years where they've been very close but oh so far, but two things really changed for them. One being their coach and one being the addition of a certain central defender.
0: Well, talk us through it because you're the one who is the expert and all I know about the Premier League was that every second day I was getting a message from someone who is a member of the Splinters group boasting about what was going on.
1: Well, as long as, as far as you're concerned, as long as uh, some club from uh, outside of, um, Manchester gets their um, their backside hands to them. You don't really mind. One job, one job. The rest of Premier League. Yeah. The Liverpool had two things that had has been really going for them. They had most of their players together to win this Premiership. But two things they needed. First off was a decent manager. They got it in Jurgen Klopp, the highly successful German who took Borussia Dortmund to Premierships mm-hmm. and made Robert Lewandowski a uh, an international superstar.
0: I like it, Lewandowski, yep, well done on the pronunciation. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, the other thing they did was they picked up a certain player from, yes, Southampton, Dutch central defender Virgil van Dijk, and he has made a massive difference to their defence. It is why they finally won the premiership for the first time.
0: And the first time they've won the
1: top flight in over 30 years.
0: That's something to think about, because if you go back to when the Premier League started and Liverpool was still the dominant force, if you said that Liverpool would have to wait 30 years before they won a Premier League title, you would have been committed. This year they haven't
1: started off as well, but they
0: are certainly there or thereabouts when we heard the results from Aston Villa playing Liverpool earlier in the year. Of course, someone asked when Liverpool was kicking off, and apparently the new answer was every 15 minutes. But uh, be, that as <laughs> it may, be that as it may, we might move along to something that uh, is a little bit closer to my knowledge base and certainly a little bit closer uh, to my central passion. We are up to number three, and I have to say that if you're going to exercise demons from being wiped down by a team that had no right to be on the same playing surface as you, beating them in the fifth period of overtime is probably not a bad way to do it for the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Absolutely. And 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 I'm, I'm not only getting the sense that not only do they beat some demons in getting out of the first round of the playoffs, it's not often you actually see Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup finals, let alone winning it.
0: Well, they've been there, thereabouts for quite a few years. They went to the final a few years ago, and they they were never really in the contest. But they, they stuck around. They really only had one terrible year where everything went against them, and they missed the playoffs by a point. When you have everything go against you and you miss the playoffs by one point, you are an outstanding team. And, of course, last season they got to the playoffs. They were runaway President's Trophy winners, which is the equivalent of the minor premiership got to the playoffs, came up against a team in the Columbus Blue Jackets who fell over the line into the playoffs. Tampa Bay went out in the first period, were leading 3-0 after one. They thought, how good's this? And then Columbus swept them. They won four games. They won after coming back from 3-0 down. And then they won the next three games as well. And Tampa Bay needed to figure out what they were going to do. And as mentioned before, they had the slow burn. They had to do it slowly. They started slowly earlier in the season. Then they started to come good, and there was a point there where they were sitting third in the Atlantic division. Nobody wanted to play them. Nobody wanted to run into them into the playoffs. Everybody wanted to face up against either the Boston Bruins or the Toronto Maple Leafs, but everyone wants to face Toronto in the first round of the playoffs because that's basically a bye. But the way Tampa continued to play and continued to dominate, that really set the tone for them. And then to run into Columbus in the first round, after what has been the season from hell for everybody, and then to find yourself going to overtime in game one, double overtime, triple overtime, quadruple overtime, they're playing a fifth overtime period, and then to finally get through and nab that goal, I think that set them up for the playoff run that they had, where really,
1: after Columbus... They weren't really tested. No, absolutely not. And and it should be pointed out, also done with one of the best attack lines in the competition. Oh,
0: you don't don't even need to worry about the whole line. It was Kucherov carrying everything on his own. Stephen Stamkos, the captain, was out for most of the season, and he only made an appearance for one game in the actual final itself. I think he played all of about two and a half minutes, and on his first time on the ice, he scored a goal. How good's that? So Nikita Kucherov basically carried that team and then they ran into the seventh circle of salary cap hell knowing that they would have to move players out because Nikita Kucherov, with that sort of performance, he's going to sign a big contract and he still took unders. He's worth more than the $9.5 million a year that he's on at the moment. But as we've heard over the last three days, Nikita Kucherov needs hip surgery and that means his season is done. Now, all of a sudden, they can re-sign everybody else, bring them all back, all fit, firing and healthy. If you're missing Nikita Kucherov, that's a big loss. But when you've got Braden Point, Stephen Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli, Tyler Johnson, who is one of the better centres in the NHL, is playing third-line duties. That's basically your third, your reserve striker in a soccer sense. He's coming off the bench for them, basically, as your third-liner. He's not your main weapon. That is a team that is built to win, and if you're going to see anybody go back-to-back, I think Tampa Bay would have to be the biggest favourite. Although, saying that, Pittsburgh did it not that too far in the distant past, although I don't want to talk about that, how they got there in the first one.
1: Let's go to number two, shall we? Yes,
0: absolutely, and we're staying in America, and what, what are we up to now? A 47-year drought, is it, that was finally broken, or a 48-year drought?
1: It would be a no. no, It was a it was a close, very close to a fifty year drought. I think it might have been forty eight, forty nine years. Coming in at number two is the Kansas City Chiefs, an, an unusual one here, but one thoroughly worthwhile because they won their first Super Bowl since Super Bowl four.
0: Now we are up to Super Bowl fifty three, aren't we? Yes, and that was Super Bowl fifty three that they won, which tells you all you need to know about how long between drinks it's been. And even when you have a situation where the bottom teams get to draft and try and work their way out of a problem, there's still no guarantees because you still need the off-field infrastructure and expertise there, and they just didn't have it for for very long at all.
1: They didn't. And not only that, but they were coming into a red-hot um, juggernaut of the Super Bowl history in... The San Francisco 49ers coming into the last quarter, San Francisco were up, having just scored 10 unanswered points in the, th- in the third quarter and led 21-9. You think it's game over. They just need to run the clock down, right? Wrong. In one of the greatest fourth quarter comebacks in Super Bowl history, Kansas City ran in 21 unanswered points to win the Super Bowl.
0: 21 points. Without answer, that is
1: just absolutely insane. It's mental. It is absolutely mental. No one saw it coming. It was a fourth quarter ambush. But that's what happens
0: when you all of a sudden, you get a little bit of momentum, you get a run on,
1: and all of a sudden, just bang, too easy. Yep, absolutely. It's a massive achievement. It's the first time Kansas City have won it since 1970 and it meant for the first time in the city's history they held multiple trophies because at the same time they also had the MLS trophy. That is very
0: true, and the fact that all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're able to just run around and really get that feeling going within the community, even though this is a fully professionalised organisation where the most professional teams can be overwhelmed and consumed by that sort of community feel and i think that's what really stands out absolutely it really is what
1: drove him to victory much like what we're going to be talking about for the biggest team winner of 2020
0: oh they can only be one can't they Team that probably, they, and this is the interesting bit of trivia, this is the team that played the last cricket game on the MCG before the shutdown. Geez, they broke some records along the way. We are talking
1: about the Australian women's cricket team. They finished off the pre-COVID period as World T20 champions. Everyone will remember the amazing concert they had with Katy Perry, but what many people won't remember from it as well is not only did they win the World Championship They broke the record for the biggest attendance for a women's team sport event in the world. We are talking 89,000 people.
0: Now, the big question for me here is, does women's cricket build on that and take the opportunity to really try and create themselves as equal to the men? How soon can that happen? Because, okay, you get 89,000 for the final, but what are the crowds going to be like? And obviously, you're not going to play on the same size field uh, as the men because of the inability to hit as far. You're still going to have the same length pitch, but you're not going to have the same hitting length because of the difference in strength. How far down the line is it going to be before you look at the women's
1: team as on par with the men's? It, to be honest, in terms of a purely physical aspect, you may never get there. But in terms of a technical and a popularity aspect, I think it can in about five to ten years.
0: well the the technical side of things is something important because it's being seen a lot among women's sport that technically they're getting a lot better because they have more time to put into the skills training. Obviously, as you say, we're probably going to get chased out by all the PC police for acknowledging that men have that more testosterone in them, which is the the strength hormone. But at the end of the day, you're not going to have that strength. But does the technical aspect make up for it? Because I've always preferred to watch, as an example, women's tennis because they seem to be technically better. Of course, they have to adjust for the fact that they can't blast players off the court with the same power game as the men have. Unless you're Serena Williams. But yes, you're absolutely right. The, the option is still there for the Australian women's cricket team to maybe usurp the men's.
1: It, is, it could well be. You're, we will see. But certainly the momentum from the women's team has taken it to a level where women's cricket is now the biggest women's team sport in the world. At a level now where I think about three or four nations can proudly say that their women's cricket team are now fully professional.
0: That and that is a very important thing to say, even when you're talking about the competition that's going to come from soccer or footballers. You're going to refer to it as that is vital when you consider how much effort has been put in by FIFA there.
1: Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break. We're going to be when we come back, we will have the individual winners of 2020. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Splinter's the best podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn Radio and all good podcast sites. And the Bull Caruso with the Lord Mayor himself, Keith Topolsky, going through the winners in sport for the year 2020. We've just done the teams, the teams list, Keith, and just to, in case you missed it, the top three in the end, in third place, the Tampa Bay Lightning, in second place, the Kansas City Chiefs, and our pick for the team winners of 2020, the Australian women's cricket team. We move from that now to the individuals, and at number eight, Keith, we're going to go to Rugby League, and really one of the unsung heroes of 2020, and it comes from a team that no one thought would actually do any good this year. No, it
0: doesn't, and what the Gold Coast Titans were able to achieve really stunned everybody, myself included. They started the season, they were ordinary, they were ugly, they were terrible. And I undenied about whether I wanted to give a nod to Todd Payton and the job he did with the New Zealand Warriors or not, but that that was a very out-of-the-box situation for them, whereas the Gold Coast Titans were exposed to as much as you can say, a more normal situation, their situation was more normal than what the Warriors were. Justin Holbrook proved himself this year as one of those coaches who went to England, had success, and he's a legitimately good coach in the NRL, because there's no shortage of Australian coaches who have gone to England, won a couple of competitions, thought, how good is this, come back to Australia, and just taken a dive straight away. Nathan Brown is probably the first one to think of, but then again, he got left with a pretty ugly situation. Not every coach that goes to England has success in Australia because it's two very different situations. So the fact that um, Justin Holbrook was able to do what Garth Brennan couldn't, I think is a real indicator of what a great job he did with the Gold Coast. And even if they go slightly backwards this year, which I don't think they will. I think they make the top eight uh, next season in the NRL, and if they can find a quality number nine before the season kicks off, I've, I've got them every chance for a top four spot. But if the Gold Coast Titans can just continue to build, then I think Justin Holbrook has the job as a first-grade coach for as long as he
1: wants it, really. Is it, really, is it only the... Uh, the work that he's done in terms of on-field strategy, or has he managed to do what very few people have actually done, and that is clean up the culture as well of the Gold Coast Titans? Well, he's, he's fighting a battle on a couple of fronts
0: there, because not only has he had to clean up the culture within the playing group, he's had to clean up the culture off the field, as well within the senior staff, because we've heard all the stories this year about Garth Brennan trying to clean up the culture, and Mal Meninga basically turning around and saying, oh, just let it go, let it go, you're overreacting, and then taking the side of the players. I don't know whether Meninga looked at the situation and thought, well, if something doesn't change here, then I might be out of a job, at which point he actually took an interest, because... The job Mal Meninga did in supporting Garth Brennan in 2019 was absolutely farcical. It was just a disgrace what some of the players were allowed to get away with as far as efforts and attitude went. And Justin Holbrook's coming in. I don't know whether Holbrook laid the law down to Meninga or whether Meninga cotton on to something that was actually a bit of a problem, but what Justin Holbrook achieved as far as results and as far as culture goes is really impressive because he figured out, a way to get the halves working properly. He put Jamal Fogarty in there, and Jamal Fogarty was an absolute revelation. I think he's a better player than Ash Taylor these days, even though they still regard Ash Taylor as, as their as their marquee half. But moving A.J. Brimson to fullback was an absolute masterstroke. And he, he changed the culture. He changed the game plan. He changed the approach. He changed everything, Justin Holbrook, and full credit to him.
1: Well, I mean, we we know that Malman Inga is probably running operations there about as well as he did his um, senatorial career, but uh, we will, I think we should probably move on before anything else happens there, but certainly Justin Holbrook has done an amazing job with the Gold Coast Titans there. Let's go to number seven, and it is really is a, uh, it really is a a tale of a comeback from injury that really should have ended a, a career prematurely, and Keith, you will celebrate as well because he is a boy from the West.
0: Well, he's not from the same area of the country or of Sydney as Mitchell Stark grew up in, only a few streets away from me. But, yeah, Pat Cummins being somebody who at least grew up west of Pennant Hills Road is cause for celebration, even, even if he did grow up uh, in the Blue Mountains, playing for Penrith at the foot of the mountains. And you're right, the fact that he had so many stress fractures and he, he was really done for when you think about it, and it could have been so much a case of him going along the lines of James Pattinson, one of the great bowlers who just can't get a gig now because injuries derailed him for so long and then he got locked out of the team, but Pat Cummins managed to find something that James Pattinson couldn't, get his way back into the team, and I had to feel for him in Adelaide because he had every right to think that he was going to take five, along with Josh Hazelwood as well. It didn't quite get there in the end, but what Pat Cummins has been able to do as far as recovering his career, really rebuilding, I think is nothing short of remarkable, but you know that better than me.
1: Well, not only that, but it's, it's the, the feel-good factor about him and stories coming all around of Pat Cummins really being one of the nice guys of, um, of world cricket.
0: And that, that's one of the things that you often hear about, but... At the same time, you just wonder whether it's true or not because so many people, they they try and get this positive PR campaign and all this spin going on and you find out eventually that, oh, yeah, it just depends on what sort of personality you are and whether this happens or whether that happens. But it's very rare that you find absolutely nobody with a bad word to say about a particular person because we've seen with Michael Clark he seems very affable on camera and so many people have got so many bad things to say about him off camera same with other players but when you have literally no one with a bad word to say about um, a particular individual that's when it's a pretty good sign that it's not an act and it's fair income. and I think Pat Cummins
1: fits that mold. Absolutely, and uh, let's just hope he can he can keep delivering as he as he does to his uh, with his nickname now of of the Postman. So Postman
0: Pat always delivers. Absolutely, let's go to number six, Keith. One down your alley, and you're probably very happy to have seen well, not necessarily seen how he came about as a Southampton player, but certainly what he's done as a Southampton player, and moving on from that, and maybe as an England player now
1: is Danny Ings. Absolutely, for those of you who don't know, Danny Ings, uh, born in Winchester, um, came up through the academies on the south coast, got to go with Burnley, um, started to make some noise, was brought into the England squad, Liverpool paid big bucks for him, and he barely got on the field due to injuries, and then getting supplanted as Liverpool went on a spending spree to get this attack, this attack built up with Coutinho, Forminho, Sala and Sadio Mane, and... Daddy Ings basically getting pushed into the background based off injuries and better, and some would say better players at the time. He managed to secure a loan, a one year loan back to his boyhood club in Southampton. Struggled with injuries in the first year. People were wondering, is this money really worth it? You get to Christmas 2019. Southampton are in the relegation zone. Ralph Hasselhoff is trying to work out how they're going to get up, get them over the line to survive the year. Enter Danny Ings. Southampton finishes eleventh. From they were nineteenth at one stage, Kitty. Nineteenth.
0: So they've really got themselves out of a real big relegation struggle to begin with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Danny Ings finishes second for most goals in the season only one behind Jamie Vardy. And to top it all off, he scored the most goals from open play of any player in the Premier League, that's excluding penalties and excluding free kicks. And in all of Europe, he finished second for most goals for open play in a football season behind a player you do actually follow a little bit in Robert Lewandowski. One,
0: well, you, you didn't do as well on that pronunciation, but we'll, we'll give
1: you that one. Yeah. So, what a season Danny Innes had. He's, he had a minor injury this year, but he's still picking up goals and assists at the moment. And should be noted as well that Southampton, in terms of that run, and setting themselves up for next year. They're in a position for Europe at the moment.
0: Do you you give yourself any chance, well, I say yourself as a Southampton supporter, any chance of actually winning the title, or do you think it's still a race, Liverpool and Spurs?
1: I think it's still a race between Liverpool and Spurs, but Saints are certainly in the run at this point for a Champions League spot. Champions League is certainly something
0: that Southampton will take, because it wasn't that long ago that you were applying your trade down in the same league
1: that my boys are in at the moment. Absolutely. So, you know, it just shows like Southampton this year, like Leicester City about five years ago, it can be done. Could be the year, who knows? Absolutely. We're going to move on now to number five, Keith. Once again, someone who
0: you follow much more closely than me, and I can't imagine why with a surname like his, in
1: Daniel Ricciardo. Absolutely. The, hunter, the person who has adopted the name the Honey Badger from a certain rugby player who thinks he spends better time rejecting every woman possible on The Bachelor, Uh, Daniel Ricciardo has had a a solid season, but it's more about what's happened as the season's progressed and now into next year. In a season that we mentioned before, dominated by Mercedes-powered engines, indeed, you know, two of the top three positions in the um, Two of the top four positions in the um, Constructors' Championship were Mercedes engines in the factory team and Racing Point, soon to be Aston Martin Racing. Daniel Ricciardo managed to drag Renault to their first podium finish since Malaysia 2011. That is a long time between drinks. That is a very, very long time. So he managed to do it, and he backed it up with... Um, double uh, podiums, and a welcome return of his infamous Shoei. <laughs> so the Shoei
0: returns, and do you think that's going to really take off as a pop culture thing now, or do you think that once he leaves the sporting scene that the Shoei might disappear?
1: I think the Shoei disappears with him, to be honest. Unless well, I'm, we get I'm glad to know feet. that. Uh, unless, you know, someone, uh, another Alaric and Aussie manages to make their way through... But that's not the only thing Daniel Ricciardo managed to do. He's managed to secure a big move to McLaren-Mercedes for next year. He's going to be teaming up with fellow F1 lovable pest in Lando Norris.
0: So what chance do you give him of taking, not necessarily the title next season, but certainly finishing in the top
1: three for the season? I think it's a genuine chance. I think it's a genuine chance of top three next year. And then, as I said with Mercedes earlier in this episode, in 2022, it all starts again. At which point
0: you say that all bets are off and anything could happen to anybody. Exactly. Speaking of resets... You've got to say that the sport of cycling has taken a real beating over the last few years with all the dramas around drugs and performance-enhancing substances and who's on and who's not and do we really have credibility in the racing? But you can't help but admire what Richie Port has been able to do from basically nothing.
1: Absolutely. And I think think one of the unsung heroes of sports this year – Richie Port started off this year winning the 2022 Tour Down Under after finishing, I should point out, finishing second in this competition, three years running. That, that, is, that is not bad to be
0: able to step up after that sort of a history. Yeah, absolutely. So, you
1: know, he, he's come to this year with confidence after winning the Tour Down Under. He skipped everything because of covid Put all of his efforts in towards the Tour de France, and he's managed to finish third in the overall classification, the best finish for Australia since Cadell Evans back in 2013.
0: Now, when you think about how long Cadell Evans has been gone from the cycling scene, you might think that that's not too bad or something along those lines, but Cadell Evans, you, you don't really remember just how much in terms of the global
1: dominance that he had, how quickly he came and went. Absolutely. Well... In terms of the build up, it was coming, but after he achieved it, yes, he pretty much left after that. I think he had the view that, you know, I've done everything that I've wanted to achieve now, my career is over. And you know what? Fair play to him in terms of that. In that he he pretty much retired at the top of his game. Richie Port, I get the feeling, is building up to something big. It may not be a Tour de France win next year. But you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he's back on the podium again for it in the next couple of years, or maybe one of the other Grand Tours.
0: And moving on from the world of cycling, and obviously it is a global sport, but I think that as far as global sports go, there's only one. It is the round ball game. We call it, well, we're not going to call it some of the names that I have in the past. We call it soccer or football, as you might call it. And it seems that there's one... Player who was taken all before her, not him, in the last 12 months or so. She happened to grow up in Perth, had a brother who played AFL. She goes by the name of Sam Kerr. Yeah, she's been growing
1: into an international superstar status. I'll tell you what, she confirmed it this year if there was any doubts about it now. First off, at the start of the year, she secured a move to Chelsea, that is the football club Chelsea, at the start of the season for a two and a half year deal. Rumored to be worth a quarter of a million pounds a year, this is pounds, not dollars, so we're looking
0: pounds. somewhere around the five hundred to five hundred and fifty thousand dollar mark
1: yeah for for a female athlete, that is big money that's big money that is big money and a way what?
0: to go before you get into the men's Premier League side of things with the money, but you've got to start somewhere
1: absolutely, absolutely. Not only that, she's already won her first piece of silverware. She won the 2020 Women's FA Community Shield with a 2 two-zero win over Manchester City. Um, Chelsea are getting good bang for their buck at the moment. They're currently sitting second in the goal-scoring. Sorry, I should back that again. She's getting Chelsea are getting good bang for their buck at the moment because Sam currently sits second in the current the goal-scoring charts on seven, with Chelsea sitting in the Super League in third place.
0: Okay, so explain the concept of the Super League within the Women's Premier League.
1: It is is the top-flight division. They just don't call it the Premier League. It is the Super League.
0: So it it is, for all intents, the Women's Premier League, but it just goes by a different name, similar to calling the English NRL the English Super League. Correct. That is not a bad way to be sitting, although obviously she'd prefer to be a little bit higher up given that she's had quite a bit of success in the W League previously.
1: Absolutely, but, you know, there's nothing to sneeze at at the moment considering that all the players are now moving, making their way over to, to Europe. The other big one is off the field. She became, She's become the first woman to be appointed as a FIFA, this is the, the EA Sports video game FIFA, game ambassador. Now, does this get her on the cover of the game? Yes.
0: That is, that is very, very big because there's a lot of talk going on in other sports at the moment about how close you get to having the men's and women's on parity. For the video game to be marketing the women the same as the men,
1: that is a huge step. That is a huge step. And she's with, with a couple of big names there as well. Trent Alexander Arnold, the prodigy, the youth prodigy for Liverpool FC, and some guy currently playing for Paris Saint Germain by the name of Kilian Mbappe.
0: Yeah, I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah. Not
1: bad company to be had with Samantha Kerr in there.
0: Absolutely not. And moving on from Sam Kerr, you, you talked about um, her having quite a lot of fun and quite a lot of success. But when we're talking parties, there really is only one party to be had in women's sport in Australia. That's the Barty party.
1: Oh, but, and long, mate,
0: it continued, Keith. What actually happened with her because she walked away from tennis, tried her hand in the women's big bash and thought, you know what, tennis is probably a better gig. Goes back there and just takes all before. Is she the second coming of Elise Perry?
1: Um, I would say in a way, the difference was that she started losing her um, passion for tennis, which is why she went to one of her other loves, which is cricket. By the way, I should point out she's a half-decent golfer as well. So her hand-eye coordination is one of the best in the world.
0: I I wish I had that sort of hand-eye coordination to be able to play any of those sports, but I I think the greatest achievement I ever had as far as hand-eye coordination went was actually being able to catch a rugby league ball, but we'll leave that as it
1: may. So she uh, rediscovered a lot of tennis after spending a year playing in in the Big Bash. She just went places from there pretty much. Um, And last year was an indication she won the French Open, uh, and she finished the year as the world number one and what has she done this year Keith?
0: Well that's a very good question because it was a little bit difficult with the pandemic setting in and she came home for a while and said that she was going to be based in Australia and for the most part because of the way the news coverage was structured and all we heard about was the virus it seemed that the biggest coverage she got in mainstream media was the fact that she went to the AFL grand final the only problem was that that isn't
1: necessarily all that she did, was it? No, she, funnily enough, she did manage to win her um, world's number one tennis ranking. She reached the semi-final of the Australian Open uh, earlier on this year, became the first Australian woman to do so since Wendy Turnbull back in 1984. That's a long time between drinks.
0: I wasn't actually alive then. Yeah, I, was, exactly. I was hanging around. I was born later that year, but, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't actually out and about
1: by then, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. The the other thing as well, you mentioned the AFL. People didn't realise that she's a massive Richmond supporter. And I thought she was a Queenslander. So she is, but her family moved up to Queensland from Richmond.
0: All right, can we sign her up in New South Wales State of Origin then as well? Oh, I think possibly.
1: Oh, uh, we have, I, I we think, have to look into that. We have to look into that, but apparently Richmond's in Queensland now, so you know, that might be a bit of a challenge. Where is Collingwood? Um, That's in Queensland too. It, it is it is actually funny enough. But you know what was just so endearing about her seeing her at Metricon Stadium with a beer in hand, absolutely cheering the, the Tigers in. Who just thought, you know, if if that Body couldn't get any more awesome, she just went up another two notch.
0: It's Richmond Tigers, so they're, sort, they're only marginally less unpopular than Collingwood, so maybe we have to have a talk about that particular
1: club. Yeah, but you, know, you could see in the images of her at the game, she was right into it.
0: Oh, absolutely. No question about that. And when it comes to successes this year, there can be no question about who has had the most successful 2020. There can only be one choice. We speak of St. Peter of Wollongong, who grew up near Mount Uzo, Mount Uzly? Sorry, <laughs> 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 He took all before him in the sporting administration world. All hail Saint Peter Valandis, the
1: pat- officially who has become the patron stage of rugby league. Yeah, not rugby league, but rugby league. Rugby league, and I was absolutely amazed. He went where no one else would.
0: Well, I knew he had it in him because I saw what he did with racing. Way back in the days of the Howard government, when we had the equine flu threaten the racing industry, and he cleaned up with a support package that he wasn't even aiming for. It it was bigger than what his ambit claim was at the start. So for him to be able to do that, you knew you were getting somebody good. What really unnerved me was the fact that Todd Greenberg was still hanging around. Now, Todd Greenberg may be a very nice guy, and I've heard nothing but good things about him as a human being, but when you looked at what he achieved as the NRL CEO, you knew you were really running into a bit of a problem. You needed someone with a bit more vision. And when the game shut down, Peter Volandi's moved heaven and earth to make everybody else look stupid because you saw the way that everybody in the AFL sphere was going him hammer and tongs, all day, every day. This wasn't about the fact that he was putting the NRL players' lives in danger by coming back too quickly, like they complained. This was them trying to cover up for the fact that for the first time in, well, forever really, the NRL was outmanoeuvring the AFL when it came to the administration side of things.
1: And what was absolutely incredible was that before anyone else had even considered it, he went to measures that are now considered... International sporting standards when it comes to dealing with pandemics. Well, he was the one, he was the first one
0: to really consider the possibility, and it certainly wasn't the same extent as what the NBA yeah. and the NHL went into with their playoff series earlier this year. But he was the first one to institute the idea of the bubble,
1: and that has been absolute wonders. Obviously, the biggest challenge he would have had was to deal with the New Zealand Warriors, and we saw. I guess a side of Peter Volandis that people wouldn't have expected in terms of the way he dealt with him so compassionately as well.
0: And you, you can't argue about anything when it came to his approach because when you've got guys who are going to be away from their families for so long, you've got no choice but to be compassionate and sympathetic and understanding about it because you can't expect guys, okay, they're professional athletes, so you expect them to be on the road for two or three months at a time, but you can't expect them to be on the road for five months, not knowing when it's going to finish, if it's going to finish, what might happen. So I think it'll run a lot more smoothly uh, in 2021 than what it did in 2020, because the Warriors know what they're going to be in for, so they can plan a little bit better for it. But what he managed to do, negotiating, I Bye. suppose that the kindest thing you can say about the Queensland Premier is that she's a little bit to the wind when it comes to responsible and consistent standards. What he managed to do in getting Melbourne out of Victoria before everything went to hell in Victoria was absolutely incredible. Being able to negotiate with the New Zealand government, being able to get certain players in and out, being able to set up certain standards, being able to get the players all on board with it, it really was incredible to
1: see. And not only that, but the challenge as well, dealing with some of the players whose partners, for lack of a better term, Um, had certain views about um, COVID-19 and vaccines in general.
0: I wouldn't even get into the anti-vax movement here so much as one of his great achievements because that's something that has been discussed for quite a long time. The interesting thing that I looked at was as soon as you had a situation whereby you could get back playing Okay, you had the anti-vax movement, but the way Volandes was able to manoeuvre in and out of that and basically declare, okay, these players won't be heading north. Your problem is allowing players without vaccinations to play in Queensland, so we'll keep them out of Queensland. And that way, you were able to manoeuvre back and forth, back and forth, therefore able to keep the competition running, get it up and running. And not only that, he got fans back so quickly, all things being... Being equal. I can still remember Manly had their fans in the corporate boxes at Gosford and all of a sudden this was, this was world beating stuff. This was ahead of other competitions even coming back. There were leagues still scratching around trying to figure out how they were going to do anything whatsoever as far as even playing out their season. And Peter Valandis has got fans back in the stadium.
1: As I, as, I, as we sort of, you and I have joked about, trust a walk to get things
0: done. Yep. Absolutely, whether it's a wog of a different colour or a white wog like I am, I call myself a skog because I'm a skip wog and I can say that without problem because, well, I am one, so therefore it's not discriminatory. You have to take your hat off to him and, yeah, if he ever decides to go into politics, it's going to be a dark, dark day for the team, for whichever party he's up against because he will be able to just run roughshod.
1: Oh, absolutely. So there you are, ladies and gentlemen, the top three for the individual winners. In third place, it is Samantha Kerr. In second place, Ash the Party Barty. And in number one, it is our Lord and, and Saviour, St. Peter Volandis of Wollongong, the saint of the Rugby League. That is your winners for 2020. And as we wind down to the end of the year, Keith, I have to say, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to have done this. Obviously, we've been there's been a lot that we've had to cover throughout the course of the year. The challenges that we've had, we've gotten to the end of it, and one can hope only things will get better.
0: We can certainly hope that, and whether they do get better or not remains to be
1: seen, but hope springs eternal. With that, ladies and gentlemen, that is Splinter's the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download, podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and all good podcast sites. For the last time in 2020, on behalf of the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky, My name is Anthony the Bull Caruso. As always, run hard or run home. Good night.